uh, a love-hate relationship? Is there anything that you do, you're like, I enjoy this, but I, I like it, but I don't at the same time. Anybody out there, I like it, but I don't like it. Maybe for you it's working out. Maybe it's, you know, there's something you enjoy about it, but then it's like a love-hate relationship. I have this in my life, and it's, it's called golf. I have a love-hate relationship with golf because, because, um, it goes against everything that my natural, uh, against my natural tendency. Like with golf, you have to be patient, right? You have to be patient. There's something about golf. See, if you play baseball, you're stepping into the ball. You're using your, your torso. You're using your power. You're using your arms. You're keeping your arms bent. And then you go to play golf and it's awkward. It's awkward because the way that you think that you should hold the golf club, you don't hold it that way. And if you try to just smack the ball, it is going to go like behind you or to the left or to the right. And the challenge of this is that they always say, now it frustrates me, right? Because I like to think like I'm just going to smack this ball and it's going to go 500 yards, right? And, and, and the frustrating thing is it's not about how hard I hit it. It's letting the club do the work. It's letting the club do the work. This is frustrating for me because I'm trying to smack it. And then there's a, you know, an 85-year-old man that's just like, and it goes off into the horizon. And I'm thinking, what did you do? And they will tell you, see, what you're trying to do, you're trying to do it in your own strength. But you need the club to do the work. And you need to keep this arm straight. And you need to focus on the ball and it's actually your hips that it's doing it it's like a, a pendulum and it's against your very nature because you want to smack it right and 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 the thing about it is the thing that will trick you you will do very good if you're not that familiar you'll do very good for like four holes then you get confident and cocky and then you can't even hit the ball it's very embarrassing it's very embarrassing when you are a 230-pound grown man and you swing as hard as you can and the ball goes two feet from you. It's an embarrassing moment. And it makes me think about this. It is true that when we give our lives to God, it's, very, it's our tendency to want to do it in our own strength. It's our tendency to live this life for God in our own strength. And, and the kingdom of God is the exact opposite of our very nature. For example, you know, the way up in the kingdom is the way down. Come on, somebody. The greatest in the kingdom is the servant. The Bible says that if somebody does something wrong to you, to bless your enemies. I don't know about you, but I don't feel like blessing my enemies. It is awkward. It doesn't feel right. You gain when you give. You gain when you give. This is something that is awkward when we get into the kingdom, but how many of you know that the kingdom is the way that God blesses our lives? And so I want to give you four beliefs today, four beliefs of a blesser. This might be something that might feel awkward to you. This might be something that you say, you know, this isn't my natural tendency, but I'm here to tell you, you have a coach to help you. And you, that coaches the Holy Spirit to be able to help you, and you're going to be able to go further than you're able to go by yourself. Now, think about this. The taker in the story that we read of the good and faithful servant 
what, what was the first argument that he had with the master? What was the first argument he had with the master? He said, you are a hard man to please. You are a hard man to please. See, when we first give our life to God, we think that it's hard to please God, and it's the opposite. We think it's difficult to please God, and this is our tendency. I got to do, and I got to try really hard, and I got to perform so that I please God. But this is the trick. When you actually get the fruit in your life and you're doing well, you actually thought it was you and not God. See, that's the performance trap. The performance trap is, just like on the, on the golf course, I want to do all the work. And God's saying, hey, you could do it, you could do it, but the truth is, when you do this, you think that you are actually achieving something that I already paid for you. And this is how religion starts to creep into our lives, and we find ourselves thinking that we produce the blessing because of our performance and we worked hard and God is saying no if it weren't for grace you would never have that blessing see we want to take credit part of the world part of the flesh is wanting to take the credit for our lives but how many of you know if it wasn't for grace we would not be here man if it wasn't for his mercy and for his grace but the guy that was a taker he was a performer the guy that was a, a, a taker, he said, look out how hard it took me to get this. I don't want to lose it. See, it is as pride comes into our life, and we choose pride instead of his presence. We choose trying to get something on our own instead of relying on God. And what God really wants from us is for us to be like a child. The Bible says the way to the kingdom is to become like a child. Now, a child, there's some new uh, mothers and fathers in here I don't know if you've noticed but your child needs you constantly I don't know uh, I mean uh, some of you you've got some dark circles under your eyes because you are up constantly because your child needs you no child comes out of the room and like mom dad I got it I'm good I'm not gonna cry I'm not gonna need you I got this no child is like that and God says you know what I want you to be more like a child where you're relying on me and not your own effort are you trying to do things in your own strength see many times we get in this this mindset that God is not pleased with us and we have to work and achieve for him to be pleased with us this is furthest from the truth with our father so many of you you feel like you have to do x y and z and god is pleased with you but jacob realized something think about this jacob i love this jacob falls asleep and rests on the rock see god is not schizophrenic he is not proud of you at one moment and another moment he is rejecting you god is consistent and he's he's constant and the bible says his love never changes for you but it's subconsciously we think when we walk this walk sometimes god is pleased with us when we're doing good and sometimes god is pleased not pleased with us when we're doing bad and that will cause you to be a taker and not a giver how many of you want to be a giver? The Bible says this, Psalm 62, he is the rock of my salvation. Isaiah 28, 16, Jesus is the rock 
He is the cornerstone. What is that rock? That means never changing, solid in your life. Is your Jesus a rock in your life or a reed? Do you feel like Jesus is someone that's good with you, like a reed shaking in the wind, and the next way, next day he's not? That will wear you out and cause you to be in a place where you're constantly trying to prove yourself to God, and God is saying, I'm the one that formed you. You don't need to prove anything. You need to be a child and rely in my presence. And God wants us to be in a place where he is our rock. In Exodus 33, Moses said, God, I want to see you. I want to know what you're about. He actually uses this phrase, I want to see your glory. That is a fancy word for saying, I want to know what you're about, right? You tracking with me? So glory means what someone's about. So the glory of Tiger Woods would be three of you golfing here. Golf, right? The glory of Michael Jordan would be Right. Uh, the glory of, um, name somebody else, the glory of, of Donald Trump would be, don't answer, I don't know, I don't want to know. The glory of um, Bill Gates, you would say probably his money, his wealth, right? And, and Moses, Moses actually says, God, I want to know what you're about. Now look at what God does that is just, it, it's just phenomenal. He says, listen, Moses, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock, and I'm going to pass by you, and I'm going to show you my goodness. What does this speak to us? God wants you to see the goodness of the Father through the rock. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. If you're wondering what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus is the best theology. I am thankful that I serve a God that loves and has compassion and is gentle with me. Anybody else? The Bible says that God isn't just, love isn't something that he does. Love is who he is. If you love, you have to hate. And you know what God hates? Anything that keeps your love from him. I love my kids with everything. That means I have to hate. That means I hate anything that would want to harm them. See, a lot of times we identify ourselves by the wrong things that we do, but God never identifies the wrong things that we do with us. He sees us and then the wrong things that we do. And the way that he views us never changes. And that thing, that, that, that hang-up that we have, he says, work with me and be a child, and I will help you get rid of that thing. But we get in this performance mode that keeps us from really getting to the place that we're wanting to be. Psalms 145.9, God is good to one and all. Everything he does is suffused with grace. So how many of you want to be infused with grace? Everything he does is suffused with grace. And so if you're wondering what is God like, I'm here to tell you today and remind you today, your father, God, is good. God is good. He's a good father that's loving and compassionate. If we're real with ourselves today, if you're real with yourself, would you really feel that God is good, that he wants to be with you, that he wants to bless you when you're struggling and when you're doing awesome? I'm here today to remind you
that God is good. The taker, the taker said, you know what, you're a man that's hard to please. The giver said, you know what, God, I'm sleeping on the rock. I'm resting on the rock. How many of you want to rest on the rock? He is the rock of your salvation. He is not a God that is forever changing. He is a God that is the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. God wants you to see him as a good father. It will cause you to be a giver. How many of you want to be a giver in here today? Now, this is the second thing. This is the second thing. That the taker had the mindset that his master, our God, was ruthless. In other words, not only just heartless, but someone that brings on heavy punishment. Do you know why many people don't, they're not a giver? Because in their mind, they're always thinking because of the things that they did, God is about to punish them for that, and they feel like they have to hoard on to what they have, hold on to what they have right now, because they think bad is coming. See, some of us, we think God is like Buddha, which in Buddhism, you believe in karma. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. Now, I do know that sowing good seeds brings fruit, but I'm here to tell you today, it's the goodness of God that actually brings you to repentance. And if you are so inundated by God's not pleased with me, and as a matter of fact, I think he's going to punish me, you will always be in a place where you will be afraid to step out and do anything for God. This is what the Bible says. Can we read it? This is, gonna, this is going to set some of you free today. 1 John, 1 John 4.18, love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. Whoever walks consistently afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. This is the second belief that we have of someone that's a giver. I'm a child. I'm a child. Write that down. Write that down. Not only is he my rock, but I'm his child. I'm his child. Some of you, we get two things mixed up. See, Isaiah 53, this blows my mind, that the wrath of God, because sin has to have a punishment, that the punishment that we deserve and the wrath of God went all on Jesus so that we are not punished for the things that we did. I don't know about you, but that's good news. Our sin, the wages of sin, for us, the wrath, the punishment, that we deserve, Isaiah 53 says, was put on Jesus so that we can live forgiven. What a father that would pay a price, his only begotten son, and the wrath go on the firstborn so that the rest is blessed. Aren't you thankful that God has, has put all of the punishment that we deserve on Jesus? I don't know about you, but that makes me want to shut down right now and just thank God. That makes me want, because I don't know if you, you all in here are like Jesus' third cousins, but I have fallen short. I don't know if you feel like you're perfect or not. Next week you can preach. But I do know for me in my life, 
I have fallen short, and I'm thankful that God gives me grace and mercy. Now listen, we think in our head, we think that punishment is the same thing as discipline. It's two different things. We relate to punishment as discipline, but our Father knows how to discipline us in a healthy way. We think of discipline as punishment, but God does not view discipline as punishment. God does not say, hey, you did something right, so I'm going to put your hand on a hot stove and teach you a lesson. That's not a good father. I would never do that to my kids, right? See, punishment and discipline is two different things. God wants to discipline us. God wants to discipline our spirit. The Bible says that's how you actually know that you're a child, that he will discipline you. But did you know he does not discipline you by shunning you? He does not discipline you by saying, you know what, you hear that, that saying, you know, God is always quiet during a test. That's not in the Bible. No, God does not discipline you by being silent. God does not discipline you by feeling like making you feel far away. Or God does not discipline you by bringing harm on you. And I want to say this loud and clear because somebody in here, maybe you have a relative or it's yourself, there is a sickness or a disease that you're facing and the reason why you can't get over it is you actually think it was God imposed and he's a good father and he would never oppose or impose sickness or harm on you. That is not how he disciplines. Yeah, give God a hand if you want to. That is not how our God disciplines when we go off. There's a story that I love, and it actually shows how God disciplines us. Do you want to hear it? It actually shows how God disciplines us. It shows the gentleness of God. It shows the fatherhood of God. Now, I think another person we can all relate to is Peter in the Bible. Peter, uh, he talked before he thought, you know, he was kind of, uh, he, he, he knew that, like, he didn't have it all together, Right? And Peter was the guy like, God, I'm going to be with you at the cross. Nobody is going to be able to change that. And Jesus says, as a matter of fact, Peter, uh, when I go to go on the cross, uh, you're going to de deny me three times. And he actually does. He actually, Peter denies Jesus. This is some, one of the most grievous sins that you, this is not falling in, 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 in some kind of, this is actually denying Jesus. That's a big deal. Now, how does God... How does Jesus discipline, not punish, discipline his child, Peter? Peter was like, forget this, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to what I'm used to. Have you ever felt that way about Christianity? I've, I've tried and I failed and I'm not like, I'm not. I talked to a young believer this week and it was like, man, the truth is, the truth is that like I'm trying, but this is too hard. And I said, well, this is not, this is not a cross that you need to bear. The problem is you're trying too hard instead of allowing God to teach you. And I started to tell him, you know what, actually the blessings of God and the grace of God in your life, you can't work for it. And he says, there's something that I don't like about that. And I said, exactly, because it's your flesh. Because God wants to do something in you that only he can take credit for so that he will get the glory and not you. And so Peter is in this place, he's frustrated because he can't perform, he has fallen, he has fallen short, and he's actually a leader, and he got a few of the other disciples, he was like, screw this man, let's go fishing. And I love the picture of this, because if you know the story of Peter, 
when Jesus first called Peter, he actually said, Peter, after you were fishing all night long, I want you to cast your nets on the side of the boat. And Peter cast his net on the side of a boat, and he got a fish full, uh, a boat full of fish because he listened to Jesus. Then Jesus said, hey, come follow me. And Peter got on the ground and said, God, I'm not worthy to follow you. I'm an evil man. And that was the way that God called him first. How many of you know that it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance, not the punishment of God? We get it confused like we need to uh, fear God. That word fear actually means honor God, not to be scared of. So we need to honor God. See, and now Peter, after being with Jesus for three years, has fallen short. He's fishing all night and he's caught nothing. And he hears something from the shore. He says, hey. And it's Jesus after he rose from the dead. He says, cast your nets on the right side. I love that God will call you when you are not where you need to be and bring you back where he first started in your life. Peter thinks, can this be God? Because I just denied him. There's no way that this is Jesus. There's no way that he's coming after me. He hears this familiar thing, and he's, he's been toiling all night. He, he is exhausted. He feels like a failure, and he says, well, maybe let's just try it. I've heard this before. He throws the nets on the side of the boat, and this is what the Bible says, that he caught even more fish than the first time because the first time his nets weren't that strong, and he got used to the blessing of God, and he strengthened his nets, and he caught more fish. The Bible said 144 huge fish. In that moment, Peter realized Peter realized this is Jesus. And Peter and John started racing each other because they're competitive. And John even said in John's Bible that he beat them, which I think is hilarious. John also said, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved in his own, in his own gospel, right? And so think about this. How did Jesus call Peter back that denied Jesus? His goodness. How did Jesus discipline his son? his goodness. It is the goodness of God that will bring you back to repentance. If you're always trying to beat yourself up to bring yourself to repentance, you will only burn out and you will be someone that's not able to bless anybody because you have nothing to give. I want to encourage you today. It is not God trying to punish you today. It is God showing you how good he is. Listen to what, what Peter does. Before, when he first gave his life to God, Peter fell on the ground and said, God, I'm not worthy. Now that he knows Jesus, he comes over to Jesus and he says, Lord, and Jesus says, hey, get some of that fish. I'm going to make you breakfast. What kind of God is this? One that says, you know, my follower just literally spit on my face, turned their back from me, and Jesus runs after his disciple and says, hey, I want you to remember how I blessed you in the first time. Hey, come over here. Let me serve you. Let me serve you. Then Jesus starts to ask him some questions. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. Then feed my sheep. This doesn't sound like a harsh father to me. This sounds like a great counselor. When God asks you a question, it's never because he doesn't know the answer. 
God will begin to ask you questions so that you can begin to get out of your mess and out of your disappointment and out of your failure. And did you know that Peter, three times, he began to tell Peter what to do. And Peter, <laughs> Peter won more people on the day after Pentecost. 3,000 people came to God. God did not say, you know what, you need to pay. You need to pay the price for this. You, as a matter of fact, it's going to take you. You've denied me three times. It's going to take you three years to really get over this. Some of us get, some of us fail, and we think it's going to take a week to get back on our feet. The Bible says that the righteous fall seven times and get back up seven. I'm here to tell you today, when you begin to know who your God is and how good he is, the enemy will not be able to knock you down and keep you down because you say greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world and you begin to get back up. What does Jesus actually say to do? He says, listen, remember who I am? Remember my goodness? And I, I, want, I, want, I want to remind you of something. Do you love me? Yeah, go feed my sheep. God says, get your eyes off of yourself and start to get your eyes on the mission. But we do just the opposite. I don't feel worthy to be able to sing on stage. I don't feel worthy to be on the dream team. I don't feel worthy to lead. And God is saying all along, you're not worthy, but I'm worthy. And I'm going to coach you through it and walk you through it. God says, listen, I am not here. I am not here. I did not call those. I did not call those that, that are already uh, equipped. I am here to equip the called. You say, how do I know if I'm called? The Bible says that every single one of us is called. It's just up to you to answer the call. And God has been calling and calling and calling, and you have let your failure keep you from answering the call. And God says, I have, listen, if you feel inadequate to serve God, join the club. Because God never called you to do something in your own strength. As a matter of fact, your weakness, he will cause it to be strong, and it will be your greatest testimony. People will look at you and say, how in the world did you get from here to here? I knew you from the past, and you're going to be getting to say, it wasn't what I did, but it's what God did, and he can do it for you as well. God is saying, I'm not here to punish you. I'm here to discipline my children in a healthy way. Some of you, you need to hear a still, small voice. This is what discipline sounds like. Son. That's not you. Daughter, that's not you. That's not you. Come over here. Let me serve you. Let me teach you. Let me love you. Let me wash you. But we've been conditioned to think that discipline is punishment. And God is not here to inf inflict punishment on you. As a matter of fact, David had this even when he was not a perfect man. And he said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Not because of all that I've done, but because I have a good father. And I'm here to tell you, when you expect goodness and mercy to follow you, you will get goodness and mercy coming after you. You know how those little kids run after you when you're running around? All you young moms, little kids, that's how blessings run after you when you begin to know who your God is. The problem is he needs to become a rock, not a reed. He, you need to see yourself as a child, not somebody that's working for God, but somebody that's working with God. And, and the truth is God sees you as a child. I'm here to tell you today, my kids can aggravate the fire out of me. 
and I am a, a human, right? I am not a perfect, I, I try my best to be like God. My kids can aggravate me, but I can tell you this, there's nothing that they could do to make me love them any more or any less. As a matter of fact, when they mess up, I want to love them even more. And I'm a faulty father. You've got an eternal father that's a good father. And God wants to peel back the layers of the ideas that you have of God because of the relationship you've had with your natural guardians and the way that they treated you. And God is saying, I am not that way. I am a good father, and I'm here, and I love you. I want to bless you, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to work with you. If you believe that, give God a hand if you believe it. Let's see how we're doing on time. Oh, I've got like three more hours. Let's go. Oh, we're about to close. The third thing is this. The third thing is this. The taker, the taker thinks this. The taker says this. The wicked lazy servant, he says, I know that you grow rich on the backs of others. In other words, what's the point? Nothing, this is not changing anything. This is a waste of time. You just want something from me. You just want something from me. But what God told Jacob, even after the blessing, he said, what's more, I will be with you. So the believer, the blesser thinks this, we are one. Me and my father are one. I don't work for God. I work with God. I don't work for God. I work with God. To be honest, this gets addic addicting. Like this, like this is not just like, see, because when God begins to speak to you and you begin to answer what God is doing, you feel God at another level in your life. I had uh, somebody invited me to speak at a men's thing uh, yesterday morning, and initially uh, I thought, I don't want to do it. But then the Holy Spirit said, no, you need to go. And then I got excited because when I follow what he tells me to do, he shows up where I can't where I can only do so much, and I get close to him. Did you know that God even says that when you give to those that are down and out, you're actually giving to him? Think about that. When you are doing the thing that God is telling you to do, you're actually spending time with God. You're not working for God, you're working with God. And if, if all that we do is work for God, we will get burned out. That's called religion. I'm going to do a set of rules so that I can feel better about myself or do my religious duty. And God is saying, I don't want you to work for me. I want you to work with me. I want you to work with me. John 10, 27 says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. See, what really gets God excited is your faith following him. That God wants to work with you. Psalms 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He, he begins to guide me into green pastures for his namesake. So in other words, when I begin to step into faith and follow Jesus, God actually blesses my life. The Bible said he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Some of us think seeking him is just praying to him. That's part of it. But seeking him is actually stepping out in faith and doing something for God. When something on the inside says, hey, you need to encourage that person. 
When something on the inside says, hey, you need to call that person. When something on the inside says, I need to bless this person. When something on the inside, hey, you need to go follow up. Hey, it's usually with people because God's heart is always people. And he doesn't want you to build 50 orphanages because it gives you some kind of name. God wants to speak to your heart and you begin to be compelled out of conviction and not condemnation. See, that's how we get burned out. Don't be compelled by condemnation. I feel bad, so I need to go to the church. I feel bad, so I need to read my Bible. I feel bad, so I need to get in a group. I feel bad, so I need to help the homeless. And God says, quit feeling bad and begin to get connected with me and start to get convicted in who you are and you are propelled because of the love that you have for me. Now you're spending time with me and you begin to see your life get blessed from faith to faith, the glory to glory. And I'm here to tell you, it's not about a religious duty. It's about your relationship. God wants to speak to you in the workplace. God wants to speak to you in your home. There are some of you, God is putting a, a word in you of what you need to do for your kids. I'm all about self-help books. I'm all about five ways to have a great marriage. But I can tell you this, if you follow the voice of God, you can do more than any book could ever tell you. You are connected with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is kind of like this. It is kind of like this. And Trey, if you can come up and play so everybody thinks we're about to close. That mustache is inspiring me. I'm just being real. <laughs> it's kind of like this. If I went out right now, because some of you, your contractors in here, I am not at all. Uh, I'm good at some things. Uh, I tried to make Leah a, a present one time for our anniversary, and it was a uh, like a little... It was a magazine rack, and it is the saddest thing you have ever seen. It's all crooked. It, like, spins. It's horrible. I'll show some of you tonight that's coming over. It is bad. It's a bad, it's a bad situation. But if you were to say, Evan, I need you to build a house, right? And I'm trying to put in the foundation, and I'm trying to do everything. And say neighbors are coming by, by and saying, like, you're doing that wrong. You're doing the footings wrong. You're putting up the frame wrong. These hinges, this is all wrong, and I am constantly trying to do this thing that I don't know how to do, and everybody keeps coming and telling me how I'm doing wrong. How many of you know, eventually I'm going to get discouraged and give up because I actually know that I don't know what I'm doing. That kind of is what it's like when you serve God, but it's another story when you have a new neighbor that comes along and says, I've been building houses forever, and rolls up his sleeves and says, I want to work with you. Let me teach you how to do it. That's what God wants to do with you right now. You are one with God. You are not working for God. You are working with God. He is a good counselor. He wants to bring you in places that you can't bring your own self in. And I'm excited to tell you today that when you're working with God, you want to be a blesser. When you're working with God, you want to bless. When you're working for God, you have nothing to give. And the last thing is this. And we're going to close, I promise. <laughs> why, do people, why do people serve? Why do people do, like, why do I even, man, I can tell you why I preach. It's not because, um, I mean, y'all are a great audience, but, like, you know, it's not because of the claps and the amens. Although I like that. I mean, if you shout me down, I'll probably pre preach faster. If you say preach it, white boy, I'll probably preach faster and better. But that is not why I do it. I do it because I feel him. I do it because it's not me. It's him with me. I'm not working out of obligation because I feel him here. 
and I'm addicted to him. And, and, and when he tells you to do something and you do it, you get closer to him and he begins to reward you. And, and, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if somebody else thinks that it's a success. If you are following the voice of God, you are a success. Peter, right after God disciplined him, Jesus said, matter of fact, Peter, when you were younger, you did what you wanted to do. But now that you're older and mature, somebody else is going to dress you and tell you where to go. And Peter does what a lot of us say or do. Because he just heard what Jesus said about John. We all know that John was the only one that didn't, that didn't get martyred. They tried to kill him, but he was on the Isle of Patmos writing the book of Revelations. And Peter said, what about John? What about John? And Jesus says, what does that have to do with you? What, is that, what does John have to do with you? You hear my voice. You hear my voice. That's what success is. Quit looking at the other person and begin to follow the voice of God for yourself, and he will bring you into good pastures. He will bring you into streams of peace. It is not about what somebody else does. That's religion. I'm going to try to do what they do because that looks good. He says, forget about that. What do they have to do with you? You follow me. And I'm telling you, at the end of the day, the significance in your life is not going to be what you built for God. It's going to be this, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not what you accumulated. It's not because many people do a lot of things for God, but it's really for themselves. I want to encourage you, at the end of the day, God is not going to say, man, look at that, look at that nonprofit that you built. Man, look at that thing that, no, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. You were, you were faithful with the little I make you ruler over much. Let's celebrate. Come into the presence of God. How many of you want to be a good and faithful servant? And we're going to close in this. The last thing is this. Man, I'm going to try. This really, I probably should just preach this next week. But I'll give you the snapshot of it because this fires me up. Do I have time? I have three minutes. I have three minutes. That is not going to happen. I'm going to try to. The taker said, but I'm afraid. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. See, he didn't really trust God, but the blesser, Jacob, made a monument. He made a monument and said, I'm going to put oil on this monument. I'm going to remember this. I'm going to remember this. I'm going to remember this moment. See, I'm here to tell you today, when a, when a blesser, a blesser has a secret and he remembers how faithful God is. He is faithful. He is faithful. Psalms 103.2, Yahweh, you are my soul's celebration. How could I ever forget the miracles of kindness you've done for me? If you want to be a blesser, begin to remember all the times God has been there for you. How many of you are thankful for his faithfulness? Come on, if you're thankful, can you just stand up right where you are? You're thankful for his faithfulness. Remembering God's faithfulness gives us a heart of gratitude and courage. The taker said, oh, this is all I got. You've given them so much more. I don't trust. I'm afraid. But the giver says, no, I remember God's faithfulness. He's always showed up. I'm thankful for where I am, and I know 
where I'm going because I, I'm going back. You know, God does not want you to go to your past failures, but he does want you to go to your past victories where he showed up. Leah was telling me something the other day that I didn't really, I didn't know this, that back in the day when, when shepherds had staff, the, the staff, that they actually carved in the staff all of the things that God has done for them. And it made me think how when Moses was at the Red Sea and did not know where to go, God says, what's in your hand? And I can picture Moses looking at all the times that God has been faithful in his life. He did not have the courage to go across the Red Sea. But God is saying, remember when I got you out of the hands of Pharaoh? Remember those ten plagues I worked for you? Remember where you are right now? You are only where you are right now because of the grace of God. Now pick up that staff and look what I've done for you. And begin to point that and begin to step forward. And some of you are stuck in fear. And God is saying, do you remember how I called you? out of your mess? Do you remember how I called you out of that addiction in that relationship? Do, uh, do you remember what I did? If I did it then, can I do it again? If I did it then, can I do it again? If he did it then, when he showed up then, when you did not know how to pay your bills, when he showed up then, when you saw that there was no way, you need to be good again to go back like Peter did and say, cast your net out the side of the boat again. I'm about to show off in your life again. How many of you know that he is faithful and true? He's got it tattooed on his thigh. God is faithful and true, and he wants to be faithful in your life. And if you want to say today, I need to get rid of fear and come into faith, just lift your hands right now.